Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to introduce Greg Raymond to the Philacrosophy Podcast. Greg is the in his seventh year as the head coach at Hobart. Um, has had an amazing run of uh, as a player and a coach, and uh, and is a pretty good uh, recruiting trail basketball player that I've enjoyed playing hoops with over the years. But uh, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Happy to be here, brother. Awesome. The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy. Um, all right. As you do with most players, I'd love to, I'd love to kick this off and, and find out a little bit about your mentors and your coaching journey. And so just talk a little bit about, about where you started playing um, in high school and, and talk about your recruitment to Hopkins. Uh, so Corning, New York, Coach Monroe. It's a uh, small podunk town in upstate New York. Yeah. Um, it's good across town, though. It is. It is very good. I think that's the uh, – that that's what started the whole thing was basically I, my I lived in Auburn New York my parents got divorced and I, I went with uh, my brother and I went with our mom to Corning where she grew up she grew up in Corning New York and uh, that was the first first time I'd ever really kind of seen the game or e- even really seen a lacrosse stick uh, we I didn't know anything about it you know my, my brother and I were athletic and we liked you know banging around a bit but you know, it was just, it was a trademark of the town. We, we lived in, uh, you know, a neighborhood where you could walk everywhere. It was kind of your old school uh, street hockey and, and everybody was doing something every night, capture the flag, this and that. It was awesome. And there were tons of kids my age and they all played. And uh, so it was more just, I wanted to fit in first. And then, uh, and then it just, and then it took off into, well, this, this is, this is a great game. This is something I think, you know, maybe I could be pretty good at, but it's also, we, we had those figures in Corning that set the stage for division one lacrosse and, or even playing any sport in college. It, it was, uh, there were just so many before us that had that, um, that next level pedigree that we wanted to be a part of as well. And plus the, the coach, Bob Street and was, you know, did not just a coach. He was a junkie. He loved it, and he uh, he he had he had started a youth program there to grow into that that high school program, and then um, you know, so he he had gotten me going early, and again another coincidence being him being a Hobart grad and and a four time national champion here. He he loved this place, and and that came back into play a little bit later, but. Um, it's like here's what you're gonna play, and you're gonna you're gonna be a defender because you're a big meathead, and and you like to you like to hit. That's how it starts, right? You know, you always want to hear how the position molded. Mine was yeah. just more of a 
a guy that didn't know how to use a stick yet that liked to get physical a little bit. So, um, but then, uh, you know, just his teaching and, and the subsequent order of the way coach Streeton did his thing, we kind of, we were corning lacrosse players early. And then, um, and a lot of that recruitment was, was him working for me. It was before any club. It was before any, uh, any, any really third party affiliate came, uh, came into power, but he did a good job. He got on the blower a little bit and called some folks and, and, but we also had those forums of really heavy recruiting, but they were exact. They were almost, you know, kind of those, those sanctioned events where you had empires and uh, we had a four star camp and that was it. I didn't play yeah. in any other recruiting evaluation avenue besides those two and it was what year were you in high school i graduated 2000 2000 so empires for people that don't remember empires was really the was the was the club lacrosse of the day really because that's yeah. what it was i mean you guys were competing for a new york state championship with what it's a western you played for western i was western yes western central new york city long island and hudson valley in adirondack Adirondack, that's right. That's right. Well, there were six. And, um, man, it was so fun to go watch those Empire State games at the end of July. Um, I'm sure I went to those that you were at. In fact, um, they were in upstate New York, too, if I recall. Right. My first year was at Nazareth. The second year was at Hofstra. And I had was- just gotten the job at Denver um, literally a couple days before the Empire's at Nazareth. <laughs> they were great, man. It was yeah. – it was- there was an opening ceremony, Jamie, like the Olympics. Yeah. Where people are pounding drums and you're holding a Western flag and everybody's wearing the same thing. It, they were huge. It and was, it, was, it was the Olympics of New York State is what it was. They were so much fun, too. And it was, you know, your parents weren't there. You stayed in the dorms. There was no supervision. There was nothing going on. It was, you know, so we had a blast. We had, there, there's yeah. guys on that Empire team that I still, one of them's my, one of my best friends in the world. He ended up going to RIT with my brother, and um, we got to know each other playing Empires and just spent the summer together, you know, kind of hit it off. And it was just it, – it was a great experience. But other than that, there was nothing. I didn't I – I went to football camp. I went to basketball camp, and I played Empires. And that's it. So um, – but then, uh, you know, there, were, there, was, there was some good talent up here at the time where and – and we did – and we, we performed at a level where we were playing in state championship games and, and in meaningful games at the end of the year. So I think some, some college coaches could come, you know, yeah. watch us play Lindbrook and watch us play Carthage and, you know, watch, you know, Greg Raymond cover Mike Powell and see how he does. That was, that was, a, uh, that was my recruiting forum was playing Carthage, basically. I'm still convinced that if I didn't cover Mike Powell in high school, I wouldn't have got recruited anywhere. So – and I don't even—I didn't even do a very good job. I just, I, you know, how, who does a good job on Mike Powell? But you just did better than most. <laughs> I just, you know, didn't make a fool of myself. I think was was the kicker. But uh, yeah, I think that was it, man. I think uh, I think it was at a time where you could pace yourself a little bit more. I took, you know, my five official visits my yeah. senior year, and that was an awesome experience as well. Uh, and it 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 just provided a. Uh, I think a good balance. It wasn't too much for me. It wasn't overwhelmed. I was, I, I decided, I decided to go to Hopkins in December of my senior year. And, um, 
and that was okay. It was, you know, the, the, the space wasn't gone. The scholarship wasn't gone. The, it was, hey, you decide when you want. So, um, and I think with all those things combined, a little bit of guidance from, from Coach Street, and um, that's how we found a good home in Hawkins. That's awesome. And you were a three-time captain at Hawkins? Correct. That's unbelievable. Correct. There, you've got, you're, you, uh, I only know a couple other people that are three-time captains. Coach Torpy was a three-time captain at Ohio State. Um, you know, that, might be, you that, might be why our, that might be why our hoops games are so physical. <laughs> no I mean, you know, you have to make a pretty big impact as a freshman to be a sophomore captain. But, uh, but what was it like um, at Hopkins? And, and what did you, what do you, you know, how did that mold you as a person and a coach? Oh, geez, man. How much time do you have? I, I had, I had an awesome experience, Jamie. It, it was, it was great. And it was challenging. There were, there were a ton of things thrown at me and at us that I wasn't prepared for and uh, that we had to figure out, right? That, that misconception of, I think, the speed in recruiting now, and everybody knows there's difficulty at all levels. And I think the best of us understand that you're going you're gonna to have to find some fortitude in the mirror first in order to figure some things out. But, you know, there, there are just, there are un, unplanned life ain't fair moments that, um, not a lot of people put themselves in those positions beforehand. It's hard to. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, even through our recruiting process here at Hobart, we make sure we talk a lot about that. Well, this is all great. I love you right now. You love me right now. But, you know, this is going to be a lot. It's going to be a four-year journey that requires your full focus. And if we don't have it, you're going to think the grass is greener somewhere or that, you know, maybe I should have went here or da-da-da. That's just not it's not a it's not a healthy practice and and I went through that at Hopkins it was I, I didn't play Jamie till uh, I mean I didn't play at all I didn't play at all as a freshman uh, I didn't play at all as a sophomore I watched every single game and then as a junior I uh I I I was a I was a halftime player I came out I played man down and I was a backup a reserve long stick midi and then my senior year I I started every game and uh covered the other team's best midfielder and the so that plight in itself was there was lots of there was lots of lonely days where you know everybody on your team's competing and and no one really wants to spend a ton of time talking about your your agenda or this and that because it's about us right so you got to figure some things out on your own how much do I love this place and love this team and love this coaching staff? And and for me, it was all those weren't difficult emotions. Those were those were easy. I loved Petro. I loved how much he pushed us. I loved how how relentless he was every day. It was it, every once in a while you'd you'd have to thicken your skin up for sure. But but I I enjoyed it. I I I felt like it was making me better, and I felt like it was making us better. And I really believed completely that we did the right things you know I think we did the right things uh from a preparation standpoint I felt like we did the right things in the weight room I felt like you know we really restructured who we were socially and who we were academically while I was there and and I felt like I was a part of something great and that that's what that's what made that you know that again that word plight that that journey from freshman to senior year that's what made it all worthwhile as I knew no matter what my role 
I, I just really felt like the program I was giving my best towards, no matter what that outcome was, yeah. was just going to be really beneficial for me. I, I really believed it. And, and had great peer leadership, you know, started with guys like Brandon Testa and, and Brendan Shook and, and Sean Adelin was the senior when I was a freshman. And he was kind of like my only fellow upstate guy on that roster. And he yeah. took me under his wing and, and said, uh, you know, here's how us blue collar upstate guys do it here at Hopkins. And, and that, that was great. And then move on to Adam Doniger's of the world and Bobby Benson's um, who taught me true kind of everyday leadership. And then it was kind of turned over to, to me and I'd learned so much from them and was pushed so hard by, by coach Petro that um, that whole leadership philosophy and growth became something I was really, really attracted to. So um, for me, it was all yeses, man. I loved it. I loved everything about it. I thought uh, it was challenging at the right times. I thought I was successful at the right times. And, and also, fortunately, Jamie, you know, we did a bunch of winning, right? We had some good players. So it, it was uh, and, and a great unified front. So that helped with that whole experience as well. That's awesome. It seems like Hopkins is uh, an amazing breeding ground for a lot of things, but including coaches. Um, and you ended up deciding you wanted to be a coach. Um, and um, before you talk about, you know, coaching for, uh, for Coach Tierney at Princeton, talk, talk to us a little bit about what you learned and how this molded you to be a coach, um, coaching under, uh, I mean, playing for Coach, for coach Petramal. Yeah, well, I, I learned, um, like I said before, that – you know, if I learned or I watched him rather come to come every day with so much purpose. And it was, uh, we didn't really know at the time. There were some days where uh, we were probably slightly confused or maybe angry at, you know, why he was so angry. But, <laughs> you know, but, but it started, it made so much sense as time went on. And I just, his, his purpose when he came out to practice you know, just really had, you know, it, when you're getting recruited, you know that practice is important, but you really don't know how important it is until, yeah. until you see your head coach make every day his top priority. And, you know, so we, we weren't afforded that, ah, that's, this drill's not that great, so let's move on. It, that's just not the way it worked. You know, it was, okay, let's stop. Let's figure out why this drill's not okay, and let's make it better. And just, you know, seeing that discipline is – was such a unique thing. It, you know, we I came from a great high school program, but I was like, yeah, I want to play Syracuse, you know. I want to play Maryland. I want to play Princeton. I, you know, that that's what you're thinking about. But how do you get ready for those games? I, I had no idea. You know, and then, you know, seeing that, um, seeing that everyday mentality was huge. But, but also, Jamie, it was, it wasn't just Coach Petro. It was Petro, it was Seth Tierney, and it was Bill Dwan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the mix of those three, yep. I, it was perfect. It was, it was absolutely perfect. I've tried to emulate that on every staff I've had, balancing personality, right? All three of them are very intense. All three of them are phenomenal communicators. And, uh, but, you know, you had the way Coach Petro did the everyday, the way Seth did the everyday, the way, the yeah. way Bill did the everyday, they were different. They were, and that the way that they balanced each other out made us 
made us complete. There was no doubt in my mind. It was such, it was such a well, uh, it was such a well-organized um, forum for discipline, you know, and you, you had the, you had the, the big figure in Petro, but you know, Seth was a guy that we loved as well. And, you know, you, you could go into his office and shut the door and coach Petro wouldn't worry about anything. He knew, he knew that Seth would handle that meeting well. And then the same thing with coach Dwan, it was, um, you know, I talked to T about this. I talked to BD about this. I talked to Petro about this and, and all of them just, uh, all of them helped in so many different facets that um, I learned the different levels that you can communicate, the different levels that you can push and the different ways to motivate. You know, it was, that was as big as, as any. The, Coach Petro, the monstrous figure that he was, well, was uh, intimidating and welcoming and, and approachable enough, but the other two just helped him out so much. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So then you, um, you decided you wanted to be a coach and, and um, you got hooked up at Princeton to coach for Bill Tierney, you know, the John Wooden of, uh, of our sport. Um, what was that like? It was awesome. You know, it was, uh, what an so, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a lucky guy, man. I think, uh, you know, in coach Petro, I wrote him a thank you letter a couple of years ago, just, uh, just cause I was so happy to, to be where I was and, and, you know, I had a great, I, I got a great life and, and, I just uh, wrote Coach Street in a thank you, wrote Coach Petro a thank you, and and just told them, you know, how much I reflect on what they've done for me. And Coach T the same. Uh, but Coach Petro called, and I, you know, it was the, you know, I don't know if I'd be there without you, or, you know, that that talk. And he's like, no, Greg, you worked, man. Coach, Coach T ain't dumb. He's not going to hire you if you're not prepared. He's not going to hire if he doesn't think you're going to do a good job. He's, he's too veteran in this. So um, just, uh, I think, Knowing that balance was uh, was a good thing, and that um, that gave me a little bit, um, I think, more confidence uh, later on in my coaching career. But early, it was um, I just felt so fortunate that I wanted to I wanted to do everything in my power to make Coach D happy and to and to and to make that program better. But I didn't know what I was going to do, Jamie. I was I, I was lost. It was yeah. I had a, I had a couple internships that I hated. Yeah, it, I just I knew that wasn't me, and I was terrified that that's the road I was going to go down, and I was terrified of not being able to compete anymore. Yeah, you know, the the pickup hoops game, yeah, I'll do it. It's it's a lot of fun, but you know, obviously, that's not the level that we grow accustomed to. So, um, Coach Petro sat down and said, "I just had a talk with with Coach T, and they're looking to fill a position. You know, Matt Striebel's leaving next year, and uh, what, what do you think?" And uh, it, it was, it took off from there. But the experience with Coach T was, I, I anticipated the level of discipline that he worked with. I think, you know, we, we had heard that message over and over again that Petro had learned so much from him, right? Yeah. With, the, with the Cornell Princeton thing when Coach Petro was there and then he came to Hopkins and it was, this is these are the socks that you wear this is these are the cleats that you wear this is the shirt that you wear and that doesn't change ever you you, you know so i knew that that's the type of program that coach t ran and i thought it'd just be the same i thought you know petro and t were were that same mold and the discipline was uh, was virtually identical um different in some directions but i mean the objective of course was, was yeah. similar and then uh, but you just realized how much how much different those people are. So the kind of that same example of 
Petro, Seth Tierney, and Bill and BD, and then seeing that different personality and demeanor with Bill Tierney as well. It just he was so like Coach Petro was was fighting for his as well at that time, right? Like he, I, my first year was Coach Petro's first year at Hopkins. Yeah, and so he was our national championship was his first national championship. I'd gotten to Coach T at Princeton, and he had six. Yeah. And so he was just much calmer. You know, he was much, it was, it was, it, every day was, yeah, it's probably going to be all right. You know, I can, I, I know there's a light at the end of this tunnel. And, and um, so I think learning that, that balance from, from Bill Tierney was an awesome thing. And his, some of his uh, post practice speeches, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy when you, when you get to that point, you know, when you have this this huddle of of, of great Division One athletes at Princeton, and you can see guys not really listening to them. That's just you can see guys in my huddle not listening to me. It's just that can we get our guys to listen and, and respond, right, James? What, yeah. what we do essentially. Yeah. But I'm listening to his post practice speeches about life and about what we're doing from a molding of men's standpoint and what, what Princeton will do for you, the institution and, and da, 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 da. And it was just, they were just such powerful words. Um, and he had such a presence about him from a, yeah, I know that this practice and our execution is important, but don't forget what we're doing here in a big picture, right? Don't, don't lose sight of how important your focus is today for the growth of your, of your, of your life. And so um, his demeanor with his athletes and, and with me, he was such a coach's coach at that point. It was, he was, he helped me every step of the way. And all I did was ask questions. I was with Metsy and T. I mean, I couldn't get enough. It was like, Mets, why, why are you doing this? And, and, why are we recruiting this guy or, or why do you guys ride this way? And they just, I mean, they had so much, they had had so much trial and error at that point. They were together, what, 25 years at that point, 22 years. I mean, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. That's, that's a full blown marriage, right? Where <laughs> they, they knew exactly how each other worked. There were days where, you know, Jamie, they, I mean, they didn't say a word to each other, but, I mean, they weren't fighting or anything. Right. They were just, they were, Metsy was doing his thing. Coach T was doing his thing. And, and then you just saw the product grow and grow and grow. They just, yeah. they, they've known each other so well. So that was the hardest part was me going in there. They had such a, cause they had had one, a, a one year second assistant kind of every other, every two years at that point. And he'd always, besides coach, besides Sean Natalin and I, it was always a Princeton guy. The guy that played for him, and he was kind of doing the grad school thing for a year, and Volks too, yes, yes. Um, but uh, you know, I think kind of cracking the T and Mets communication barrier was not anything they were pushing back on. It was just sure. a tricky. It was a tricky puzzle, you know. It was it was uh, uh, it was finding the right times to sit down with T, finding the right times to sit down with Coach Mets, and 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 just again continue to learn. And uh, it was such a wealth of knowledge, such a great experience. And um, and we and I had come in at a time where that was the they were the year before they were seven and seven Princeton, and yeah. it was one of the um, I guess least successful years Coach T had had in a long, long time. So they were re-energized. They had regrouped. We had the best freshman class ranked in the country that year. Guys like Josh Lesko and and uh, um, 
Chris Pizer and, and guys that were just great players. And uh, so it was gung-ho Princeton, let's get Princeton back on track here. And so it was just awesome first year and an awesome learning experience. It's amazing how cutting edge and um, willing Bill Tierney is to, to adjust. And, you know, um, I mean, obviously he's kind of the, the father of the modern defense that we all, you know, he changed the game by playing defense the way he did. He might credit somebody else for it, but he really did it as far as the early sliding and the zoning of things and multiple slide packages that you would run during the course of games. Right. And the force down the alley, but it's like, it's amazing how, you know, Coach Tierney over his career continues to sort of stay just one step ahead of everybody when they start to catch up. Um, did you see that? And can you think of any examples? Yeah, it, it combined the past with the present and, you know, the – that that was the craziest thing. When you talk about different slide packages, you know, we'd watch film and he'd go, he'd go, oh, that's a great tunic day. And and I go, tunic? What's tunic? And he's like, well, tunic's a defense where, you know, we, we'd slide first adjacent, second from the crease. And, and uh, um, but we called it, I'm like, where's, yeah, where's tunic come from? What does that mean? And he's like, well, Nick, this guy we had, Nick, never knew he was the two and so we'd keep saying you know you're the two nick and, <laughs> and so we just named it named it to nick so nick would know where to be at the right time so and it's funny i'll text him now or, or call him now and i'm be like you know hey you know we're running we're running bayside today or we're running to nick today and and or this week and and he'll get a chuckle out of it so um yeah what and and the best part too was you know jamie he wanted to know from me you know, he was that, that I think that's what spawned the growth in, in my coaching career so quickly is he was like, yeah, I think you had a pretty good idea of what you're doing. And you just learned from, you know, Petro for four years. Um, what do you think about this? You know, how we should, how should we defend this group? What would you do? And there were a couple of times where he'd say, no, that's insane. You know, we're not doing it. Um, you know, let's simplify things. And, and uh, but, uh, you know, I think him, him taking some, some things that have worked in the past and understanding that, you know, the game really, it's changed a ton. The speed's changed a ton, but you can still do so much if you just take the middle of the field away, you know? Yeah. And some people have, have, have gotten into this mold of, okay, well, we're going to play the ball square and we're going to this and that. And if you just get back to, you know, I've done that too. I've made crazy mistakes trying to be overly innovative and, and and i've seen that if we just took away the middle of the field here you know how much how much easier playing defense would be right if this guy could just face the right way on the crease his slide angle would be so much better and you know so you get into that what's new what's new what's new what's new phase and we did that coach t and yeah. i together yeah. um and then we we you know probably more likely than not get to the point where he's like greg we just kind of slide man that's it. That's what we're not doing right now. We're not supporting the ball. We just got to slide. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's great at, well, I saw Duke do this, or I saw Virginia do this, and I love it, you know. Let's, let's put this ride in. Let's, let's try this man up play. This thing looks awesome. But then he's also, that's, what's, what's worked in the past? And, you know, we'd bring up a film from, you know, 92 and watch Andy Moe look low and shoot high, right, and, and go yeah. – yeah, and 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 then you call it the leaner. I mean, I call it the Andy Mo. And, <laughs> you know, that's that's a nineteen ninety two game winning championship goal. So, um, you know, we were, we practiced the Andy Mo, right? So, uh, if if you look back at the greats and the great teams, 
Jamie, you can really connect that a lot to the teams that are even winning right now, right? Go back and watch Princeton in a 1994 national championship game. Watch how physical they are defensively, you know? Watch how hard they slide. Watch their slide angles. See, see how often a pass isn't on the ear, right? Just a fundamental bang right to the ear. It happens all the time. And, you know, I think uh, the, the game grows and grows and grows and the speed goes and goes and goes. But, you know, if you just go back to saying, hey, this, this always works. I can promise you, or most of the time, yeah, yeah. you're going to have a good balance of the innovative and and that fundamental that can that can hopefully help you take the next step. That's where that's where Coach T's been awesome since yeah. I've known him. No doubt, and you know you look at his difference between having his offensive coordinator as Metsy in a game when you can slow it down and win seven six, or yeah. you know going to Denver and, and with office coordinators Brownie, and and now they're winning you know game sixteen fourteen and and just figuring out how to win and leveraging your staff, leveraging the, you know, and understanding the, the nature of everything. So you moved from, from there on to Drexel to coach with Coach Bates? Bates, yeah. yeah. And then you moved with him to Princeton, too? Yeah, so I, we went, I went to Drexel for 10 months. <laughs> you know, it was – and I was dug in there, too, Jamie. I was. I loved that place. I loved Coach Bates from the jump. I loved that program from the jump. It, it was um, – you know, Vitus Field, right in the middle of West Philly, and uh, you know, had a little bit of that Hopkins Field be, being in an inner city, and yep. and um, but you know, you could you could sense toughness from Batesy right away. He just, I mean, his, his demeanor was great. I, I linked onto it immediately. I, I loved it. I loved uh, I loved how much he delegated tasks, but. Um, I mean, you'd watch the guys that he'd want to recruit and the guys that he'd want on that team. And it was, they were specific, man. You know, we had, I tell stories about a D-Mitty there, a kid named Kevin Dart, uh, who you never heard of probably, and, and so many people have. And he'll be one of my favorite people I've ever coached. I coached him one year and uh, he was a, a pound for pound, um, just pure respect driven leader and was tough as, tough as all hell he was great it was a physical toughness a mental toughness he was big and strong and fast and this gross left-handed thick d midi and um but that was that program guys like that like he was the leader and guys wanted to be like him and that's what Batesy created at drexel so the 10 months was short-lived but it wasn't by design man i i would have stayed there i would have stayed there for a long 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 time under coach bates and in that program i loved it yeah and so then you guys moved over to Princeton. So you're back at Princeton again, and now in a in a new regime, in a new role. But you knew probably a lot of the guys. Um, yeah. So um, you know, sort of. I knew all of them. I recruited, I recruited all of them. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it was it was so a seamless transition for me. A really tough one for Coach Bates. Yeah. You know, um, who wants to take over after John Wooden? Right. That's a that's a hard task. And I think yeah. through that I think through that interview process. I remember the turmoil in that summer where I, I was pushing because I know because Batesy loved Drexel. He loved Philly. He still does. He's back. You know, yeah. he, it was just ingrained in him. I think he was there for over 20 years as well. And, um, yeah. you know, he's a huge Eagles fan now. Uh, I think secretly likes the Cowboys a little bit too. I don't know what that's about, but, um, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, and so that was tough for him. And it was me going, you know, that place is great. You know, I know Drexel's great too, but let's go get that thing and, and I'll be with you every step of the way and we'll, 
you know, we'll, we'll do this thing right. And it, it, but, but that's a difficult thing. You know, that's coach T is coach T. Everybody knows him. Everybody knows what he's done. And um, those are big shoes to fill. So I, yeah. I think one of the things I love most about coach Bates is that he took on that challenge. Yeah. And he knew what it was. He knew, he knew what surrounded it. And, and, and he was okay with it. You know, he was tough enough to handle it. And, and uh, I'm not sure another person could have done it. Um, and we had ups and downs there for sure, man. I mean, who doesn't? But uh, I thought we did a pretty good job. You know, pretty good job taking that program over. And, and after two guys that are heralded as two, one of the best offensive coaches and coaches ever, one of the best defensive coaches and head coaches and coaches ever, you know, you've got me that's been a first assistant for 10 months and, you know, Coach Bates that redefined a program at Drexel. But so that was a tough thing. And, uh, you know, we had a great roster. We came in, they had, just, they had just lost by a goal to Cornell in the quarterfinals a year before at Hofstra. Um, and they had an awesome season. Mark Kovler and, and Rich, uh, Rich Siglardi and that, that freshman class that I just mentioned that I came in with, yeah. they, were, they were seniors that year. And they were awesome. They were awesome. They were killing people. They were uh, scoring tons of goals and, and uh, playing fast, playing loose, playing. And, and uh, we came in with a lot of that prestige and or feel still there. And, um, and we went on and, ha and had a great year. We, had, we won, won the Ivy Championship uh, – or, sorry, lost by a goal in the Ivy Championship game and went on to the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, next year won, a, won, won an Ivy League championship. With, uh, with those guys, but had a lot of good players, and we just had to feel, figure the place out. That yeah. was – I had that safety blanket of, of Coach T and Mets, right, where if I was confused about anything, I just – they handled it. And yeah. when, when I was confused the next time, Coach Bates probably was a little bit too. And yeah. we're like, yeah, okay, we're not really sure how to handle this one. You know, we got we to gotta yeah, ask him. Here's people. to figure that stuff out, no doubt. No doubt. So it was Brundy there too. Yeah, Brundy was there. So Brundy was with us at Drexel, and then Brundy went back with us to Princeton. Brundy was there for three years before he went out to Marquette. Got so. it. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. And now it's full circle. Let's talk a little Hobart lacrosse. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll get into talking about Coach Brunny in a second. Um, but um, so then you take the job at Hobart. So was that 2013 you got the job? Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about like how you developed the culture there and, and try to like get this thing going in the direction, you know, with <laughs> your vision. Yeah, man. So many ways. I, I've, I, just had just had so many burnt lessons here where I've gone, uh, you know, I wish I would have done that differently, you know, and, and what, what, what better teacher than experience, just like we've talked about. But so we can, I come in, uh, I hire Pete Poyan, who hadn't had a coaching coaching job yet. He was the volunteer at Delaware. Yep. And uh, he came and interviewed and he was just a spark plug. And he wanted to conquer the world. I mean, in his interview, you know, he, he, he kept elongating the interview where I'd be like, okay, you got to get down and, and talk to some folks in HR or this and that. And he's like, well, wait, can we just, 
can I talk about one more thing? And can I draw this up on the board one more time? Like, yeah, if you want, man, go ahead. And so he just, he blew me away in his interview. And I said, you know, I don't care if he doesn't have an experience. This is going to be a learning process anyway for all of us. And, and hired Jeremy Hirsch, who I recruited and played for me at Princeton, was a captain for me there. And, and he had been at Hampton, Sydney. And uh, I hired him as well. Just two hungry guys that uh, had great had great communication skills. And, and again, they felt like we could come in and – you know, win a national championship the first year, right? You know, we were kind of, you know, flexing our muscles and we know everything and da-da-da-da. And then we started 0-5 and uh, lost overtime games and people got hurt and we, we had problems. Jamie, we didn't know existed. It was, it was nuts. We knew we had to change a culture or define a culture or however yeah. you want to put it. But, I mean, the simple fact is cu- cultures exist no matter what. They could be – very good or when you say culture people just assume it's positive you know when you say the word culture like we had a culture here at Hobart but it wasn't healthy you know it was so we didn't you know we didn't come in and say uh this is the the everything you're doing is wrong and we're we're 100 percent right we did a little bit of that but we just knew we needed guys on board so I think it took longer than we we thought and uh and I used, you know, again, Coach T told me there'd be, told me there'd be three phases to changing the culture. And he's like, you can't assume it's unhealthy. You got to evaluate it. And, uh, you know, so we evaluated it, felt like we were working hard and realized that, you know, we just, we just had so many Friday, Saturday night distractions. Yeah. We, we couldn't, we couldn't gain any ground we just we kept backtracking and backtracking and backtracking or this kid was ineligible academically or this kid was about to flunk out and this kid was you know we lost both face-off guys in a week um to academics they just left they left school and uh and that was in in my second month here we had we're like okay at least we're set at the face-off facts gone both of them out <laughs> so we're so we're starting over there and and problems like that just kind of kept kept jumping onto my desk but he said, you're going to get through these three phases. You know, you're going to, you're going to start with your form phase. Your form phase is this is the way we do things. Like, this is our vocabulary. This is, what we, this is what we anticipate you doing every single day. These are our, your new behavioral traits. Here's how you treat other people. This is, this is the way you really act selflessly to become a great teammate. These are the things that you do. And then everybody's on board because it's new and it's this coach is energetic and it's a new feel and yeah, let's go. But then it gets hard. And then the next phase is the, is the storm phase where there's thunder, there's lightning, there's wind, and you got problems for days where people are pushing back on that form and they're going, Hey, I don't like this. You know, I don't want to do that every day. You know, you need to lighten up. You need to get off our case a little bit here. Let us be college kids. You know, that, that, that storm phase and coach T told me, he's like, you're going to think you're out and you're not out. You know, you're just, it, it's starting to get better, but then, you know, another lightning bolt's going to hit. And so be patient in that storm phase, stick to your standards, be ferocious in them. And, uh, and, and then you get to the the last, which is norm. This is normal. Now this is the, you know, we practice at 6 a.m. in the fall. That's a normal thing for us. And it's not for any other purpose than that's what we want to do. So it's normal that 
you take your hat off in a building, you turn your cell phone off in a class. It's normal that, um, you know, we, uh, we don't do these things and we do do these things. So that, that when you think you're in that norm phase and that lightning bolt hits a little bit, just revisit those standards, make sure that you're on board with them, make sure the majority of your team is. And then when it becomes normal, you know, then, then you're really going to start to see growth, right? You're going to start to see the play that you want to see. You're going to start to really enjoy coaching your team. And, um, and what was, was, I think, a good decision for us, and, and you've seen, I think, a couple folks make this mistake, is that you come into a roster or a program and you're new and you cancel out the people that are there. And you say, you know, these aren't my guys, right? I got a... I got a window of three years before my guys are even here and I didn't recruit this kid or I didn't recruit that kid. And I told, I told Pete and Jeremy, I'm like, you sign that dotted line right there. This is your team, right? This is our team. And we're going to coach these guys as hard as we know how to, and we're not going to judge the fact that we didn't recruit them. That's um, that means we're wasting time and we can get through this, this form storm and norm phase quicker if we, get the guys on this roster now to believe in it completely and see how quickly we can influence these seniors and see how quickly we can get these juniors to grow up and, and, and formulate this behavioral development so that it's something they want to do and it's something they believe in. So I'm very, I'm as proud about that, Jamie, as anything is, as a lot of these guys I didn't recruit, I still talk to all the time. And I love them and we got great relationships and we had a lot of success here. So um, that was uh, that, 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 four, that those three phases were real, you know, just like anything coach T ever told me Yeah, uh, it just, it was a real, real thing. And it was a reality for us. Um, but um, we started early and, you know, started recruiting, I think a little bit differently, but we felt like we could do more, with um with this roster right when we got here and and some of that stuff did come to fruition but some of it again was very challenging yeah no doubt well and it's hard changing a culture um in college because you know you you've got seniors that interact with freshmen a lot more than like in high school like it's pretty easy to change because like you know classes don't hang out but in college they do and you know I've, i went through that at denver you know, the same way you did, which was, you know, we were a division two, but we were really more like a club team when I got there. And it was like the, the expectations and everything was very, very different. And, and it takes, it does take a few years to kind of get to where you want to get. And I would also ask you this. I mean, I felt like, you know, for me, there was a year in, you know, 05, 06, where we had kind of arrived as a culture. Um, and yet you can still get storms after that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. It's, it's. If you have a year. It's a college kid, you know, we, we fight for him to not be constantly. We tell our guys all the time, you, you know, you're, you're not a college student. You're a division one scholar athlete. You know, the, your priorities need to be different. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's the simple fact of it. So you try to stay up on it. Right. Yeah. And you provide these communication forums and, and you got to build trust so quickly in a relationship and it's got to be genuine you know you're a kid's not going to come to you with an issue if he doesn't believe you care about him it's that simple and um the only way for him to believe that you care about him is to actually care about him you know it sounds it sounds simple but when you have 50 people on a roster and 
you got a wife and two kids at home and, and, you know, you got assistants that you want to continue to progress and, and you're trying to make changes on a campus. You're trying to build facilities. You're trying to change an academic day. You're trying to uh, figure out the best times to practice. You know, how hard do I push this day versus that day? Um, what are we doing in that strength and conditioning room that may be tightening up our hamstrings a bit or, allowing that practice the next day to be a little bit poor. So tons of stuff, right? So you can neglect to get a kid. You can, you can say, um, you know, well, you know, I think he's okay. We're going to keep going. You just, you can't, you have to spend more time on the relationship. You just gotta, because then if, if, if things start to develop from that storm scenario, Jamie, you, you can hopefully be proactive with it, you know, and it, and your team, your peers, can help you on that guideline, you know, and, and again, the growth in that, in our culture, it's put us in a place now where my seniors, my leadership council, they come into the office and they just say, you know, I think this kid may be drinking too much. And, and he's, he's, he may be a liability for us. You gotta, you gotta sit there. We can't handle this anymore. You gotta sit down with him or, you know, they'll come in and say, he, he ain't going to pass calculus. He may be telling you that he is, but he's not doing it. He's struggling big time. Or, you know, the, um, the, the, the fact that the peers can connect on just, you know, yeah, just broke up with his girlfriend. He ain't himself. He's, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't hung out with us in two weeks and uh, da, 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 da. So uh, did I empower my culture and my peers enough to connect with their teammates on that level? Because then all that stuff on the plate of, I just said facilities, home, da, 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 da. I can concentrate a little bit on it and I can trust my team accountability to be forefront in that communication. And, um, and they'll know that coach Raymond ain't going to judge. He's going to do, he's going to do the right thing to, to help through that storm phase. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jamie, you could, it, you could get, you could get struck with a bolt lane at any time. You know, you got 50 people on a roster. No doubt. Um, let's uh, let's change gears and talk a little bit about you know you've got a new staff with uh, with Coach Brunny, a new offensive coordinator. You tr- little trade with uh, Marquette. Yeah. Uh, you reunited with uh, Steve Brundage, one of the originators of the Pairs offense, which I'm assuming yeah. you guys are going to be running. I actually talked to Brundy like the last month or so. Uh, yeah. A little bit. He said that uh, uh, he's he's been geeking out all. All, all day, week, whatever, knowing that I'm talking to you. He's a huge fan, man. He's, uh, he wants to come down here and run his mouth about his, his offense all day. So, yeah, man, he's been great. Yeah, that's awesome. It's exciting stuff. And how's recruiting going? It's going well. It's going well. I think, you know, the, the, what, what we lost in Pete was significant. I mean, Pete was a relentless recruiter. He was, he was awesome. You know, he had, he had, he had no gripes traveling, uh, getting on his phone, uh, you know, working overtime to to figure out who was best. I think if you were to ask Pete Point on how proud he is of the guys he's recruited to Hobart, he'd be extremely proud. We talk about it now. I mean, we're we're great friends, so he just texts and he wants to know, right? He's like, how's, how's that guy doing? Yeah, how's that kid? You know, is <laughs> what we thought and da da da. So, um, you know, we we were concerned about that. No matter who it was. Yeah. That person, uh, that person doing as good of a job recruiting as Pete did, he, he was awesome for us. So, uh, it, but, but, I mean, Coach Brundage becomes a great offensive mind or a great offensive coach. Um, I mean, in no way, shape, or form without great offensive players. You know, so uh, you can you can develop uh, you can develop guys. You know, Jamie, it, it's 
the more talent you have, the better coach you are, you know? So recruiting is of course a, our lifeblood, but you know, so he's, he's found a great discipline in his eight years at Marquette and um, you know, getting kids on flight out, flights out there, uh, you know, showing them a difference in a Marquette university versus all these other places. And he's already doing that here. I think the best part about Steve is he buys in immediately, yeah. you know, no, no matter where he is, you don't got to convince him of anything. You, know, you can put him in a scenario and he'll find the good in it immediately. You know, you could drop him in the middle of New York city in his underpants and he's like, this is great, you know? And he'd come out of there in, in three days with a Armani suit, with a nice pocket square and a great pin ready to conquer the day. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah. He, he's, he's charismatic. Our guys love him already. Um, but from a recruiting standpoint, he is, like I mentioned about Pete, he's relentless. He, you know, his, he, his, his philosophy is different. His methods are different. What he's looking for is different. And that's fine. That's the, they're obviously not the same people, but he's developed such great relationships with, you know, maybe some people that Pete hasn't. And so yep. now our communication has expanded and the people that know Hobart's going to take care of their guys, uh, that basically that pool's grown a bit. So it's, it's going well, you know, we're, we're recruiting in some different spots that we haven't or ha haven't had a ton of success in the past, but you know, we're hanging out of the pockets that we have had success and we're, we're adding some with coach Brundage. He's doing a good job. Awesome. I, I want to make a statement about the, about recruiting that I've been thinking about a lot, which is I feel like the class of 2021 is the most under evaluated class in the history of Division One recruiting. And I say that because of the new rules. The 21s got put on the back burner there while everyone was like, well, I got to figure out the 19s, might as right. well. And right. then I got to figure out the 20s. Meanwhile, the 19s and 20s had been evaluated since they were in eighth grade. So all those best kids you'd seen all the way through the early recruiting right. you know, camps. And then, you know, you kind of, you could like look at a field and know who everybody was without even looking at your roster, probably right. with the class of 2020. But in 21, now it's like, you know, in the fall, like, I mean, fall ball is so short and it's so brutal anyways. Like watching fall lacrosse, you know, it's not like snowing or raining and, you know, rained out. It's right. just sloppy and cold, right? So then you get to summer and it's like, all right, we're rolling up our sleeves, we're all fired up and you blink an eye and it's over. And it's like, well, I went from a half a game of this to a half a game here and a half a game. And at the end of the summer, you might've seen, you know, the better club teams play between you and your staff you know, I don't know, between five and 10 halves of games, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not really possible to, to get into the depth of a roster in a half a game at a time. No um, doubt. And so it, I look at this and I'm like, there are so many more kids out there. I think that people don't realize that, that people don't know about yet. I mm -hmm. feel like this is uh, it's really interesting. So you, you, you agree with that statement? No, without a doubt. I think the, the, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Jamie, but the, the rule shift, it, it got your, at least it, I, I can't speak to how other people recruit. I don't, yeah. just cause I don't know, sure. you know, I, I think, I think we do probably have some similarities and what we want to see on a field. And you know, everybody talks about, you know, tough and small plays and grid and, and working the cut and all that stuff. It's great. You know, yeah. so we're, we, we all have a, I think a similar agenda and what we think can make our roster better. Right. But um, I know for us, we, we've been, we've had to be so patient anyway, and yeah. we've had to wait and we've had to allow kids to take their own path. We, 
we can't put dangle something in front of them and go, hey, t- tell me, tell me what you think about this by the end of next month. Right. And uh, we we just that's not the way it works at Hobart. So we've we've found that all I know is I've been on the phone since last September first, all the way straight through. There hasn't been a break, and that meshed into this September first. We were still finished in the twenty class, and we started with the twenty one class, and um, and uh, all of our let's say our our trusted that third party affiliate, they're saying the exact same thing you are. And they're going, this kid is really good and nobody knows it. Yeah. And I'm talking to kids and I'm going, where, where else are you visiting? And kids that we love. Yeah. And, and they're like, no one's called, yeah. you know? And one, we're like, that's great. And then, <laughs> and then also we go sit down and go, Hey, no one's recruiting this kid. You know, is, is this, uh, are we doing the right thing? Um, but we're, you know, we've, we've done our work. We've done our, yeah. we've done our evaluating, but again, there's a ton of kids and, you know, I think uh, you're, if you do it in a, in a more, um, in a more patient way over the summer, like you said, you know, one thing we tell our coaches all the time, like don't bump halves half to half unless the game's no good. Right. You know, stay there and watch the whole game. And, so and, smart. And see less kids because there's they're everywhere. You can see less guys, and it's not about. And like you said, the sprint of the summer it's got to become more of a journey because if you get into that that mold of, I just got to get to the next event. You know, it's it's yeah. you know because you then are you at the event you're at? Like, can, can, are you really? Are you are you do you have that discipline to be where your feet are? We tell our guys all the time, yeah. like, be here, be at practice, will you? You know, it, I mean. I, I know you got problems, but be here. And so if we can't have that own discipline in ourselves, especially with how we're growing our roster, right. we're doing something really unhealthy. So, you know, be, be more patient, see less events, and see less kids. And You'd rather see fewer people more deeply than yeah. more people more right. shallowly, right? Because, I mean, it's like it's easy to see the five-star kid. You can see him from three fields away. Yeah, everybody can see that guy, but but you know you can't really see the small plays you're referring to if you're just kind of whisking over it in a half. Right, and you can't you can't see you can't see his demeanor with his teammates. Like yeah. what? How is he handling coaching? You know what? What? Uh, that's why we love high school lacrosse more than anything. Is you know how does he fit in a system? One, of course, but you know how does he deal with his coach? Maybe telling them that it ain't good enough. Or, or, or dealing with a situation where he's losing, you, you know. So another, another part of a lot of these tournaments is, you know, Coach Petro and I had a long talk about it. Was you know the consequence of of winning and losing? There isn't it. There isn't much. And you know, so in that avenue, even though that could be unhealthy, if you see a young man that's really competing and enjoying winning. You know, in a scenario where it doesn't matter if he wins that game, he's going to play another in an hour. So if I can see his emotion towards a a mistake and wanting to be better in that scenario, and whether or not they win and lose that game, you know, that's uh, and how he reacts to that, that's as important to me as anything, right? So that takes, like you said, time, and maybe less. It sounds like, you know that. Jerry Maguire, I'm going to be leaving with my briefcase saying, who's coming with me? Like less, less tournaments, less kids, you know, less clients. It sounds, sounds like I maybe put my foot in my mouth, but 
I believe it. I, I believe that there's too many kids to not focus on less of them, right? So, um, and, and proof is in these 2021 calls where kids are, you know, dragging out a, a date for a visit, you know, we're, we're, they're not in a dramatic rush to get to your campus. They're, they're still they're I can't, I got, I have football or I can, I have, you know, I got hockey, I got soccer, I got this. And we love that. So um, they don't seem like they're in a huge rush. Some are right. You know, but uh, all of them really feel like they have time now because of potentially like you're saying the under evaluation of this class, you know, but Jamie, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a coach, a high school coach or a club coach that said, guys are missing these kids, man. They're missing the good ones. They're missing some really good ones here. So um, we'll see, man. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a work in progress. I agree. It's interesting, too, because like back up, you know, 15 years ago when, when you would, you know, back, you know, in the time that you were recruited and, and, and for the maybe five or seven years after that, when recruiting really did happen senior year. And coaches really could get a handle on a class in that summer. Yeah. But that was because there was just probably a quarter of the number of players and events, you know. Right. And so you just – you got it, you could actually know who everybody was pretty well over right. the course of that. But even then, I, I did what you guys did, which was I, I focused on the, the, the areas that I felt like I would have the best chance of getting players, and I tried to know those players on those rosters more deeply rather than just shotgunning it all over the place. Right. Um, and also, Jamie, Jamie, like the relationship you and I developed was, you know, I knew you were honest and I knew you weren't, you weren't selling me a kid that just because you wanted a kid from your program to go somewhere. And, you know, it's, it was the, the Brian Hancocks of the world, right? Yep. Where you were like, this kid's great. He's going to work his butt off and um, he's wide open. So give it a look, you know, and that th those are as important as the relationship with the kid early. Oh, yeah. You know, just knowing that what knowing what type of coaching he's receiving yeah and and also um what that coach is who, who that coach is asking him to be as a person you know that's that's as big as any especially with the like you said the under evaluation do I trust what this kid's doing every day right and you know do I know somebody that knows him well enough you know whether you know like you know having coached Brian Hancock in high school I knew what that kid's deal was you know yeah. I knew you know and I knew that he was going to translate um, you know, sometimes on the club level, you don't know who to trust. And sometimes you just don't know how well they know the person either. You know, it's like how much film have they watched? How much do they really know? And what kind of standards do they have? You right. know, that might be similar to the standards that you might have. Right. Now, question, uh, you know, you look at this class of 2021, it's going to be this fall. Everyone's going to be just having to, you're going to have to focus on 21s. I think everybody is. There may be some people that can start looking at 22s, but for, for the most part, people don't know this class of 21 that well. And I think it's going to go right into next summer, which is interesting because then in the next summer, the class of 22 will be the most under-evaluated class in right. history because everyone's going to have to put their time into 21s. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going to be really hard to, to do it. I think it's just going to extend the recruiting, you know, uh, over the course of time. I think it's going to continue to extend it. Well, I, th I, think, I think that's the, the reason for the rule change. Yeah. You know, I think that's what it is. I think uh, you're going to find more folks at, at our level um, finding ways to speed it up. Yeah, for sure. They're going to try. They're, if, if no matter what the scenario is, it's already happening where you're like, how, how is that kid committed? What, you know, how, how did he know to commit on September 1st? How, how did that work? You know, yeah. so, how is that even possible? 
Yeah, it's, you know, who knows? I've seen the impossible happen a lot on the recruiting front. So, um, but, you know, I think, isn't this rule in place to start recruiting seniors, right? To to give those guys the the late bloomer. How many times have you said that, Jamie? The late bloomer, the late bloomer, the late bloomer. And, um, you know, maybe they're just a bloomer now. And, you know, I think if you push that September 1st to junior year, now you're seeing the rule actually take effect right. and you're, you're going to stop re, or you're going to recruit juniors less, at least the majority of us. You recruit juniors less or at least make less decisions on them come September, maybe two or three. Right. And then you're yeah. going to wait to see that class develop their junior year, which probably is the way that most get most happen. You talk about Steve Rundage completely. I mean, if you saw him as junior year in high school, you could break his arm with a check. You know, he was, he was a tiny, tiny kid. And um, he'll tell you flat out, my junior year was huge for me. I grew. I uh, became a better player. I, I started uh, producing on the field more than I ever had. And uh, that's what I think. You know, you talked about the right and the wrong of recruiting way back when. And, you know, at every coach's convention, it was like, we got to stop doing this because it's wrong. And we have to, you know, change the deadline or a dead period because we want to see our families. And, and that, it's like we were, we were pleading with the NCAA to pass legislation that, like, declared us good people. It was crazy. And it, it wasn't about right and wrong, really. It's like, are you evaluating this kid at the right time? Yeah, you know, so the the if you you recruit less juniors early, now you're going to start recruiting them as seniors, and then lots of people are going to start recruiting them as seniors. And I think, you know, very honestly, the rules working. Yeah, no doubt, it's great stuff. Um, so give us the preview on the season. How are you feeling about Hobart this year? And what are you guys? How are you guys going to play? Um, the, you know what I I. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I had an exact grasp on it. We've got a bunch of guys out this fall. That uh, a little bit Nick and Nick's and and uh, tweaks here and there that we're just holding out for uh, just for safety purposes. But yep. you know, Jamie, we got eight of our nine top scorers back. You know, we've got uh, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of people back. We got a lot of starters back. We got our starting goaltender back. We, we lose a big void in our faceoff X um, that we're, we're hammering home right now. We lose a big void in uh, a player in Chris Islanian, who was a, um, a, a big number producer for us. And he actually just lost the MLL championship game in overtime to, to the Bayhawks had a great, had a great professional rookie year. And, um, and, uh, and more so a, a leadership standpoint, you know, we've been talking, uh, talking to a few other people about that void and what that senior class did for us. So, um, you know, we we spend so much time in the fall, Jamie, on on uh, on those standards. As I, as I mentioned, we're 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 ferocious in them. We always will be. Uh, we we think it is a uh, an exact connection. Our our what we do day to day and how we behave day to day is that connection on how we can develop a X's and O strategy and how we can develop an identity. So this whole fall has been, what do we want our identity to be? Let's, let's put it on paper. And what do we want our strategy to be? Let's put it on paper. So um, uh, we've, 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 we've put together a plan to play as fast as we can, you know, and, uh, and, and we believe in it completely. Our guys do. Um, we want 
we want their everyday play to be very enjoyable for them. Right. So um, and we have we switched the mold last year where we we played a little bit of a different pace. We played a lot more guys uh, and uh, rested more guys and, and um, you know, had some success with it for sure. Uh, we had. Um, I think more wins than any team in Division One history at Hobart. We broke uh, broke some records scoring wise. We are a couple of guys on our team had great individual seasons and and. And da, 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 da. But we didn't hold up any trophies, so we gotta uh, we gotta figure out a a better balance to, to to accomplish some bigger goal, some bigger game wins, right? We gotta yeah. we gotta get over this Syracuse hump. We gotta get over this Cornell hump. We gotta we gotta shift those quote unquote rivalries. Usually, rivalry means yeah goes back and forth a little bit. So we've got to play a much tougher brand of lacrosse this year, right? We have to play a faster brand of lacrosse this year, and. And we have to play a louder brand of lacrosse this year. We we have to have a better presence. We just do. So um, we 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 put a strategy and an identity in that that mold around those principles. And um, and we want to we want to push the pace as hard as we can. And uh, so I I love our team. I I love I love uh, I love the seniors and what they've done so far. I love our freshmen. I love uh, you know uh, these guys have come in and made an impact right away and. The good thing about being a little bit nicked up right now is we're seeing a ton of them. We're seeing a ton of them under a microscope, which is good. So um, we're going to take a mold that we had last year, and we're going to add Brundage's offense to this thing and and and, and kind of hybrid the things that have been successful for us and allow his expertise uh, to get our ball popping a little bit, to, to throw some more two-man knowledge into this thing and and, uh, and see how we can make this flow. That's awesome. Are you guys um... – some? You, play, you say you, you really want to play fast. Um, how, how much? How many two-way middies are you playing versus, you know, offense defense? Uh, we're attempting before this is the, uh, you know, before it hits in the spring type scenario, uh, where, you know, you're like, and you know what it's like, Jamie. You go into that preseason and you've been thinking for what, how many months? Like this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna yeah. be great at this. We're gonna be great at that. And we're gonna we're gonna ride this way. And this is how we're gonna clear. And then you start practicing and go, you know, I don't know if we can do any of that stuff. You know, <laughs> what what can we do well? So in a perfect world, we've made the switch completely. Um, we we have all of our we we've redefined our positions here. So what we have are offensive players. We have what we call horses, and we have defensive players. And um, everybody falls into that category. And so you're either an offensive player and this is, how, this is how you get on the field and this is where you get off the field. And we have a horse where, uh, and the elements of facing off and wing play and ground ball play and, and defense and offense, um, some will be better than others and, and we'll probably play a little bit more, but we'll be selective on, on the wing or at the face-off X and, and uh, in some defensive possessions or offensive possessions, of course, where um, we'll have our best out there that we think play the best defense or the best offense. But we charge our horses right now to know everything. And um, we've, we've trained their mental focus to, to be more fit, to be a little bit tougher, to stay on the field a little bit longer. And again, these are the places where you get on the field. These are the places where you get off the field. So we feel like substitution from that horse position and that offensive position are vital. And uh, when they can do it, how they can do it. And uh, I think that that breeds faster play. Um, uh, how can we play offense earlier 
how can we play defense earlier, right, in a possession? So we want to be, we think we want to redefine that word transition and um, help our guys recognize that we're transitioning into the defensive end of the field just as often as we are into the offensive end of the field. And we don't want to be preventative there. We don't want to be reactive. We want to be proactive in that early defensive possession. So the only way to do that is to keep a guy on the field. And, um, and we think that um, in that element, we, we limit a lot of another team's early offense and, and or, or are prepared to defend in it uh, in, a, in a faster fashion. So um, we felt like redefining that position gave them more specific roles. And, uh, um, you know, from a defensive standpoint as well, these are the, uh, the places where if you're a defensive guy or an offensive guy, you're, you have these, you're our best communicators. Our offensive guys are our best ball handlers. Our uh, offensive guys sometimes are our best shooters. And, you know, our defensive guys uh, understand uh, the fundamentals of our defense better than most and um, can help our horses who are transitioning maybe a little bit more gas than others in those high pressure situations. So um, if we, when we redefine that position, Jamie, we hoped we took out short stick D midi. We hope we took out offensive midi. We hope we took out the, um, uh, that, that avenue or that excuse of, well, this isn't what I do. I play offense, you know, I play offense more. So I'm going to get into the hole and sub off right, right when I can. We're trying to get rid of that mentality. Um, and if we can do that first, you know, the way that our guys think about the game, then, um, you know, then we could potentially get a little bit more specific about who does what. what, what how, do you, how do you define early defense? Early defense means as soon as they get the ball, we're, we're, pro, we're proactive in how we get it back. And, and not, um, well, this is, this is what we got to stop, right? This is, this, is, uh, this is what this team does well, so we have to do this. Um, so an early defense starts with a ride. And um, it, it allows you to leave players on the field to, to put a pressure to put pressure in a scenario of a ride. So we think early defense starts on a shot save, on a turnover, on an end line. And if we can develop a, a tougher next play mentality, our offensive players recognize how to defend. And so you're, you're using defensive technique in a ride, Jamie, constantly. Yeah. The way you're funneling a ball, how you want a ball carrier to, to where you want him to go on the field, where your help is. Sure. Um, it's okay to get beat to this spot. That's, that happens in a ride constantly. So how are we disciplined up front in that ride? How do we, um, uh, how do we handle that pressure scenarios in our swamp? Our, our swamps are right over the midline between the midline and the restraining line defensively. We call it our swamp. So we're in our swamp, how, how are you funneling? What's your technique there as well? Where's your support slide coming from? And, and where, do we, where can we create turnovers? right? Where do we play? So if we're playing early defense, that means immediately we, we have our hands on ball carriers. We have ball side help side approaches. We have, uh, we have leverage knowledge in each position from a dodge standpoint. If a guy's dodging immediately, we have support immediately, but we look at it in a, in a doubling scenario. Where can I double the ball? Not where can, we're not, where can I prevent a scoring opportunity? Yeah. Where can I double this ball, right? And what's going to make it harder for that offensive player to be a good offensive player? So that happens from that early standpoint in the ride to um, right as we get into that hole defensively. That's awesome. The, the, the mentality of doubling versus sliding. I mean, you have to slide and support. 
you know, but if you can, if you can double people, you know, when they're rolling back in the middle of the field, or if you get somebody uh, captured in a V hold and you can get a double on them, it's just such a great, I don't know, on so many levels, it's great. I mean, it's great because it fires a team up, but it's also just great IQ and anticipation and teamwork of doubling. And it's more of an attacking sort of um, element to it. Right. Right. Well, if you, if you, our, our mentality brother is, is we can, we want to be in that scenario where um, you can change your vocabulary, you change your, change the mentality, but we want our guys to recognize what's, what's challenging for an offensive player, not what, not where he's more dangerous. Right. So we, we have more dangerous and less dangerous mentalities from a sliding standpoint and, and, and a positioning standpoint for sure. But um, we want our guy on the ball to know if I do these things, his job is going to be tough. You know, not if I don't do these things, he's going to have a great scoring opportunity. So, um, and also when you talk about pace, if you want to play fast, um, you got to give your guys freedom to double the ball. Yeah. You, you got to give them freedom to, to hunt a back and, and, and slide when they want, not only if, right. Yeah. And, um, I think one thing that's debunked a lot of the defenses I played on is the ability of the offensive player now yeah. is that, you know, way back when nobody wanted to slide, it, it, the less you slid, the better. And it was, if we get great cover guys, then we're going to leave him on an Island and he's going to cover that dude. And, and we're going to be in great shape, you know, cause we take away his feeding opportunities. Then and we take away, I just think guys are better. I just think players are better. Now. I think if your best cover defenseman, even if you put him on the two or the three and you say, Hey, cover him all day, you take him out of all of the things. And if you, if your best cover defenseman doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to slide or, or doesn't know how to double, doesn't know how to read an offense. I'd be shocked. It's, it's very rare that that best cover guy is not a complete player, you know, very rare that you can't get him at like you look at Chad Wiedemeyer when we had him at Princeton, he covered great, great feet. He could break down in space. And I mean, the Rob Pinnell, Chad Wiedemeyer matchup was just so fun to watch, right? Those yeah. guys going at each other, but where Chad was great was he could sprint as fast as he, he was the, one of the fastest guys we had on our team, he could sprint 15 yards, stop, break down, and play that spot well. Like he can anticipate a slide, and he would fly at the ball carrier and slide on a great angle and da-da-da. And so if we just said, hey, go cover that guy for the whole day, we lost all of that. We lost all of his ability on the ground. We lost all of his ability in our clear and lost all – he just – he'd crawl into that matchup hole. And um, it, it made us less versatile, and it made us – a slower defense, you know, where we just, we grind out games, like you said. I mean, we played Notre Dame in a, um, a first round game. The, the first time Kev, Kevin Corrigan took his team to the final four, I think, uh, or took his team to the national championship game where they had um, Scotty Rogers in the goal. Um, and they came in and they, and we played, we thought great defense that day. We were playing great defense. We had two matchups. They had this kid, this big midi Brenneman maybe, and uh, another midfielder. And a lefty that redodged you guys. Yes, like a ton. And we just, we put two matchups on him. We had our, our pole John Cunningham cover this guy. And we had, uh, we had Chad cover that guy. And they were great matchups for him. And we did a good, we did a great job. They ended up beating us seven to six 
in a, in a, in a grind of a game and Scotty Rogers played really well and, and their defense played really well as usual, you know, with Jerry Byrne doing his thing. And at that game, after that game, I'm like, I'm never doing that again, ever. I'm never, I'm never going, Hey, cover him all day. Uh, and it, all we did was let a team control the clock, control the pace and, and grind us down. And that's it. We played tons of defense. And so I'm said from this point on, our best cover guy is going to be best at everything else too. And wanted the versatility from that, uh, wanted the lack of versatility and that loss to kind of never happen again. Right. So do we want great cover guys? Sure. You know, if we don't have to slide great, but if we can double, I want my guys to have freedom to do that often. It's awesome stuff. Hey, Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to come on uh, and share your journey and your philosophies and the state of the union of the statesmen um, <laughs> wishing you the best of luck here in uh, 2020 and um, hopefully i'll see you at the imlca convention and uh, we can talk a little more lacrosse you will brother you will i appreciate it man this has been great all right buddy take care thanks the philosophy podcast is brought to you in part by the jm3 lacrosse academy This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy.